0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of New Books in Sociology. My name is Richard Osijo, and today I'm going to be joined by Adam Reich and Peter Behrman, both at the Department of Sociology at Columbia University. And they're going to talk about their recent book, Working for Respect, Community and Conflict at Walmart, which came out with uh, Columbia University Press. Uh, Adam and Peter, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for inviting us.
0: Great. So I was wondering if you could start just by just giving us a little bit of your own backgrounds, your biographies, your research interests, and how you kind of came to this subject matter.
1: Um, okay. So I'll begin. Uh, this is Adam. Um, I've, uh, I've been interested in, in labor and uh, labor organizing uh, since before I uh, decided to become a sociologist. Um, and I, you know, when I, when I was deciding to become a sociologist or trying to figure out what I was doing with my life, um, a mentor of mine, Marshall Gans, who's a lecturer at the Kennedy School at Harvard, told me, um, that sociology was the discipline that cared about, uh, changing the world. And, um, while I have learned that that is not entirely the case, I think I've always, uh, had a piece of my scholarship uh, be focused on, on, uh, on questions that I think will contribute to, to the, uh, public good. And so this project, uh, sort of arose for me
2: anyway. My involvement in this project arose out of that commitment. Well, this is Peter. My involvement, uh, arose because Adam was kind enough to invite me to participate. But, um, I'm a sociologist who works on, um, social networks and the ways in which the worlds in which people are embedded, and the worlds in which people spend time in, shape their aspirations and their hopes. And um, I've done also work on um, other occupational groups. I wrote a book on Dorman that tried to understand how the world of, of Dorman intersected with the elites that they provided services to. So, this project was a, a natural extension of, of interests in um in how in, in doing studies in which one focuses on how how people come to understand the world they're in and then hopefully uh, act within it to make changes to realize the things that they want to realize.
0: Oh great, thank you. As we go along, I think it'll be pretty clear how uh intertwined your your interests are in this book and how they really come across. so tell me a bit about this collaboration that you did, because the project really struck me as very unique, not just in terms of how the two of you collaborated, but also the way that you collaborated with the uh, student researchers who you brought on board. Uh, also in, very unique in terms of the the purpose of the project as this example of public sociology, uh, the actors and the groups involved, and the the potential policy importance. So tell us a little more detail about the, the origins of this project and the uh, design that you came up with.
1: Yes. So um, this is Adam. Uh, the book grew out of uh, of a research project that began in the summer of 2014 uh, as an action research program inspired by the 50th anniversary of Freedom Summer. Um, we collaborated with a labor organization, the Organization United for Respect at Walmart, or our Walmart. Uh, and with them, we sent 20 college students in groups of four to five different parts of the country uh, Los Angeles, Dallas, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Central Florida, uh, with two related goals in mind. Um, one, that they would collect oral history interviews with Walmart workers, uh, and the second, that they would help to organize uh, Walmart workers as well. Uh, the oral histories, uh, we thought, would help us understand the situations, hopes, and aspirations of those working at Walmart. And the organizing, ideally, would help us change these situations um, I think we should say up front that in terms of our uh, political ambitions for the project it was pretty unambiguously a failure. Um, our, the 20 students we sent into the field recruited uh, 22 members total over the course of nine weeks. Um, 15 of the 22 were recruited in one site uh, and the modal number of recruits uh, was actually was zero. Um, And even in Ohio, where our students had the most success, they had to work uh, about 100 hours for every one new um, recruit, every one new member of our Walmart. Um, The truth uh, was that our Walmart at the time wasn't doing all that much better. Um, Over the course of about five years and millions of dollars, the membership of the the organization was leveling off. and, and never reached more than a fraction of 1% of Walmart's workforce. And uh, what was immediately clear to both of us, I think, was how incredibly difficult it was to organize Walmart workers. And, and this was the puzzle that animates the book. Why is it so hard to organize uh, low-wage workers, and, and how might it be possible? Um, so in terms of the methods we use, Interviews that our students conducted in the field in 2014 and supplemented those interviews with all kinds of other material. Um, the 35,000 Yelp reviews written about Walmart, uh, the 9,000 reviews of Walmart written on Glassdoor.com by Walmart employees, a survey we administered over uh, Facebook of over 6,000 Walmart online discussion group uh, to which about 20,000 workers contributed, and, and this book is the result of this multi-pronged, multi-method uh, engagement.
0: Right, so it's obviously a book about Walmart workers, which we'll get to, but as you're discussing here, it's really also a book about the uh, the summer for respect, you call it, uh, the 50th anniversary of Freedom Summer, and and about these students who were involved, although they weren't very uh, successful in terms of their organizing. There's there's a lot that we get out of this, and you really do, a, I think, a great job of analyzing uh, the, the students and the workers, but also the interactions between them. Um, I'm thinking of early on in the book, you go into the story of Anthony from the uh, Walmart advertisements and his relationship with a student, uh, Beth. Um, so how how did some of these Relationships between workers and students really kind of play out and inform uh, some of your findings.
2: A typical way of thinking about why the students had trouble organizing workers is that there was this large gulf between their backgrounds and experiences and, and the lived experience of, of people who work at Walmart. And I think one of the things that this book shows is that that's that not actually, that wasn't actually what was. Um, Stake. What was at stake was that uh, that where where the students were able to engage with Walmart workers was where they were able to um, develop trust relations with them, um, where they where they could trust themselves as as members of small groups who were trying to organize, and whether they could and felt comfortable and and in a trust relationship with uh, all our Walmart organizers that they worked hand in glove with. So one of the of the things that this book focuses on is is and it is on the importance of trust versus friendship as an organizing element. Another thing that I think it focuses on is that the things that the students wanted in their and and would articulate when they were frustrated in their own experiences is that they they wanted also to be autonomous and creative and and to have the respect of the people that they were working with. And that's I think what Walmart workers also want to be able to say, which is that they also have autonomy, that there's dignity in their work, and that they um, seek the respect of their customers that they are um, trying to serve and also the management that is um, controlling them. And and the union and traditional unions often approach workers in the low-wage sector and other sectors by offering them... Mm -hmm. uh uh, incentives in the form of wages and and of course wages are are important to people who don't earn very much their lives are precarious because they're on the edge of poverty poverty but deep down what what people are searching for is community uh respect and a sense of of place and both our students and our and the walmart workers in interaction with each other helped each other see that and i think helped us see that Yeah, and
1: I would just add that I think we, or at least I went into the project expecting a lot of individual level heterogeneity in terms of how well um, the students would be able to connect with Walmart workers. And I think what we found is that the most interesting heterogeneity was actually at the site level, um, like where there were local organizations that actually facilitated the kinds of interactions that would allow students to to connect with and learn from uh, Walmart workers, um, and so uh, you know, I think in in uh, Ohio and in Florida and in Dallas, what we found is that there were these these local organizations that actually allowed the students to be uh, creative, to experiment, to fail, to form real uh, lasting connections with. With workers and in some other sites in L.A. and Chicago, there just weren't the there wasn't that infrastructure in place.
0: Yeah, thank you. So to me, the book's a really great example of how to address a problem like low wage work. Uh, you first and to understand it, you first have to situate it in terms of. Where it takes place, so places like Walmart, the lives of its workers, the social relations and ties that exist in communities where such work is uh, found, and this relationship between social ties and social change is a really major theme of the book. Can you tell us a bit about how you explore these uh, these two ideas and how they are connected to each other so
1: yeah I'll take on um, the the first question, which I think I, what you're saying is exactly right that in order to understand uh, what work means to to anyone and what work means to the people who work at Walmart, one has to appreciate the the context in which uh, people are living uh, uh, and in order to understand Walmart workers, one has to appreciate the diversity of of people who work there and the diversity of circumstances that they confront outside of, of Walmart. Um, uh, and the way that these different reference points result in different understandings of the experiences people the, the similar experiences people have after they arrive. Um, so I think one thing that we found uh, in the research is that there's just there's tremendous heterogeneity in the experiences of of Walmart workers because of these different reference points, um, that this heterogeneity actually is an obstacle to forming the kinds of collective identifications that um, are important for for collective action. Um, and then also that, that for many, we found, work at Walmart actually compares relatively well to the situations in which they were in before, uh, a shredded social safety net, an expansive criminal justice system. Um, these things that make life outside the low-wage market uh, uh, labor market worse, and Walmart by comparison uh, better. So I think what we what we what we explore in our, in our first chapter is exactly uh, this question: how, because of the difficult relationships uh, people have outside of work at Walmart, the difficult situations they're confronting, the abusive relationships.
2: I mean that is precisely the focus of the first chapter, which is all the you know the the vast heterogeneity of different pathways that that bring people to Walmart. And um, in, the, in the second chapter, which focuses on the shop shop floor, we 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 sort of say, well, uh, it's not sufficient to to think about all this all the different people that come into Walmart, all the diverse factors that push people there because once they're there despite that heterogeneity of experience they encounter a very similar um regime on the shop floor and um and so to understand walmart workers relative quiescence um it's one has to focus on what's happening on the shop floor not just the set of bad other choices that they have and um one of the things that the second chapter focuses on, which is you know directly on the shop floor, is the tension between workers' investments and and uh, exercises to try to find creativity and autonomy in what they do, their investments in friendships that they form with each other and with the members of their community, um, and um, and how those investments, which take the form of social ties, then you know, position them with respect to the arbitrary authority of managers that um, is um, extremely, um, uh, uh, is an extremely powerful and and sort of uh, site-defining experience of their work. And So the the second chapter focuses on, you know, what happens when people are on the shop floor at Walmart, what are the resources that they have with respect to social relations that could make it possible for for them to do Something other than acquiesced to simple uh, control by the um, by management
0: yeah, this is a really fascinating part of the book. I was hoping you can talk a bit more about because yeah, people find meaning in work they invest themselves in it it's not surprising we <clears> would see the variety of ways that Walmart workers find autonomy and even creativity. In their jobs, and you know, they delight in the recognition they receive for these activities and the community they perform them in. But as you're saying here, it's a really an uphill battle, because you know these are really the the ultimate precarious jobs in many ways. So, uh, tell us, explain the, these these countervailing forces and what happens when they collide for these workers.
2: Yeah, well, of course, um, you know, the fact that Walmart workers are are paid low wages. Um, um, makes them especially vulnerable to all the kinds of um, random events that um, people who have more economic resources are able to absorb. So if you if you have low wages and and your and your car gets uh, flat, um, it's um, it's uh, maybe a two and a half hour uh, bus ride to work, or if uh, or if something happens and with your utilities and they're shut off. Uh, it's harder to get to work on time or conditions at home are difficult and so on so they, the the low wage system produces a precarity to um outside experiences and and that then puts workers at a tremendous disadvantage to it in a system that um is uh, kind of pushes all responsibility for their um uh, showing up on time to being uh, able to be consistent workers, to be there every day, it pushes all of that back on them. And so the Walmart control system, which looks like it's you know sort of designed at one level to to facilitate um, the easy scheduling and so on, is actually you know quite quite aversive to people who are on on the economic margins. in addition, just the way Walmart rationalizes work, which is that Topic of the third chapter, which is just on the structure of domination and control. Um, Just the way Walmart organizes itself as a as a shop floor, um, which is to rationalize its logistics in such a manner that there's always the optimal amount of staff uh, present on any given day, which is really driven by the by by behavior of customers, um, creates situations where workers don't have stable or fixed schedules. They're constantly moved from one uh, shift to another, from one job to another. And the organization of work itself cuts across the ability of workers to form alliances with each other. So in the traditional factory, workers are on an assembly line. They work next to each other. They're on the same pace. They're on the same schedule. They can build relations with each other. And they can also stop stop production simply by simple simple withdrawal from the labor process and a very small minority of workers could shut down a factory simply by by stopping to perform on an assembly line. But that doesn't that there's no such structural power at Walmarts. Um, the people are cross-trained on three or four or five, sometimes eight jobs. Um, they're all on different schedules. They don't have opportunities to develop systematic trust relations with each other. And so the so-called flexibility of the Walmart um, a control regime, which we call Walmart, Walmartism, which is essentially the new way in which workers are controlled, turns out to, you know, create situations in which, um, in which workers lack the structural power uh, to make uh, to make adjustments and changes uh, to their situation, other than the individual power that they have, which is to exit which is not really a reasonable choice because the exit opportunities aren't any better.
1: Yeah, and um so I think that a core piece of our our book is trying to understand how uh labor relations at places like Walmart are different from uh the relations of production uh you know at uh in manufacturing. Uh, and Peter's just talked about about One way that the flexibility um, and and kind of unpredictability of of work at Walmart undermines the basis for collective action. I think another way is that um, you know because of the uncertainty um, introduced by customers that that even you know the even the perfect algorithm there's still going to be an error term, meaning that no matter what staffing level Walmart predicts it will need at one point in time, it's always going to be understaffed in one department, overstaffed in another. Um, The the way Walmart solves that problem is by by delegating a lot of authority to uh, to managers, um, to middle managers who are then moving people around uh, throughout the day. Uh and and what this does, uh it, it our argument is that what this does is it makes the experience of work be one in which a worker is consistently reminded of the arbitrary control that is being exerted by those above them. Uh manage whether or not managers are favoring some workers or others, the experience is of being order to go somewhere based on the arbitrary whim of 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 the supervisor and so what this does is is for what this does is it highlights the importance of of interpersonal respect or the absence of interpersonal respect that workers feel on the job so when you ask workers uh, at Walmart what their least favorite part of the job is um, the most consistent answer we heard was that it was The managers, it was those above them who were, who are disrespecting them, um, and who were, who are controlling their, their everyday life. Now, this is probably true, um, in, in all kinds of work that, that, that relations with, with managers feeling disrespected is an, is a complaint that many workers share. We think it's particularly prevalent in, in, in the service sector in places that do, uh, delegate so much authority to managers to, to make individual workers' lives better or worse.
2: Yeah, I mean, absent a fixed kind of locus for control, which would come, say, from an assembly line, the, the space for managerial discretion just widens exponentially. And so the, the kinds of protections that workers get from the arbitrary exercise of power um, in a in a real in a factory are are completely limited. And the other thing I I think is that it's not just the managers who are supervising Walmart workers. So the the organization of the service industry in Walmart in particular um, creates customers as sort of proxy managers. And 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 because customers are are. Trying to, trying to buy things and trying to find things, and in and, a and context where there's um, uh, a purpose of understaffing, um, then, which is an organizational failure, customers blame the people who are right in front of them, who are workers. Um, and so um, th- you have this kind of uh, powerful um, experience of being surveyed by your managers, by being surveyed by customers, and by being surveyed by a the whole technology. array of technological apparatus, scans per minute, um, uh, things, um, uh, video cameras, and so on, that that I think are, are characteristic of the economy in Walmart, and are increasingly characteristic of the of the economic and work experiences of most Americans
0: yeah I think it's a, a very striking uh portrayal of the direction that control and surveillance and uh, consent worker consent is going in uh, these days an extreme example of course given its size but still something that is becoming more pervasive um, Another finding that really jumps out in the book to me is the 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 regional place differences of the uh, locations, the contexts in which we find Walmart stores and uh, the, the the communities that these workers find themselves in. You have a few interesting examples of students, uh, even in the same region, near each other in Ohio, I believe, having very different experiences with the stores that are only, I've, I forgot how far, but oh, a few miles apart, really. Uh, but there's some other examples in your data, such as in the Yelp reviews of some how some of these differences in terms of the different communities where Walmart stores are located uh, show themselves. What? Well, what? How did you uh, locate some of these differences? What are some of these differences that you uh, saw between stores in different communities in different parts of the country?
1: Yeah. So I think that the the, the vignette you're talking about is is how our Ohio team. Uh, had a lot of the, the most success they had in any store was the Franklin, the Franklin Ohio store, uh, where many of the workers had had, had past experience being uh, working for a company called AK Steel and had and had had an experience of being part of a union, uh, had an experience of of having been paid uh, living wages at one point in their life, and so we're able to compare. Uh, the work they once had with the the job at Walmart and and so we're able to to critique uh the job at Walmart using the frame of reference uh of the job they had before um only uh a few miles away uh in a in a little town on the outskirts of of Dayton called Centerville uh our students tried just as hard to to get students interested in the organization and and they completely struck out. Um, And our students' impression was that uh, it was because the Walmart workers were both younger and older in Centerville than they had been at Franklin. Like they were either um, like high school students or students just out of high school or they were retirees. Um, And what we wound up finding is that you know in Centerville it's true that the, the, the median wage of, of workers who live in Centerville is is much higher uh, than the median wage of workers who live in uh, Franklin. And what this means is that the you know the average Walmart worker in Franklin is much closer to the average worker generally who lives in Franklin. Whereas the average Walmart worker in Centerville is is different than the average worker in Centerville the, the workers in Centerville the Walmart workers in Centerville they were they were uh, students looking for uh, some spending cash or retirees who were looking for a little bit of extra income or looking uh, for a way to pass the time looking for a way to to address the loneliness they they felt in their lives they they uh, were not comparing Walmart Alone in a retirement community, and of course, there's
2: also just store variation that shapes the experience of Walmart based on the socioeconomic status of the neighborhood and the racial composition of the neighborhood that that um, that that store is located in. Um, and we tend to think maybe that kind of you know these WalMarts or franchises are kind of all the same, but different workers working in them relative to the population. The population has different um, opportunities to shop uh, in one neighborhood or another. They're differentially staffed. They have differential turnover. Um, And where you have, say, in poor neighborhoods, uh, Walmarts with very high uh, high turnover rates um, and low staffing, then you have situations in which the average lines are longer, the cleanliness is longer, the experience of shopping there is longer, the frustration that customers have with the place is greater and the distance between customers and workers, you know, becomes unfathomable in that sense, which has, you know, therefore then shaped the experiences of people and, you know, what they, how they think about what they can do to change their situation.
0: Right. Yeah. The, uh, the racial and social class, uh, influence, I think was, was really eye opening, really interesting to see, to see you discuss So you started the podcast by talking about how the efforts of the students were not successful in the sense that they uh, were unable to really do any meaningful recruiting, but you do discuss how it was very influential for them uh, personally as young young social justice advocates who were undertaking this project. So what were some of the uh, effects that they experienced from their participation?
2: Yeah, well, first, I mean, one thing we didn't mention is that, you know, we also were using the students to learn to learn from um, so that um, at the beginning of the project, we um, collected social network data on them and found out who they associated with, who they liked, who they respected and and hung out with. And um, and then we also um, Used an interesting strategy to try to capture their neural response to each other through brain scans, and that's the topic of parts of chapter five, where we, where we look at the way in which people, um, these students processed each other neurally at the start of the program, and and the way in which they responded to each other later. And and from that work on the interface of, of cognitive social neuroscience and and sociology, we learned some, I think, really important things, and and those things line up with, with, with well-known features of the social movement activist space. Um, for example, we, we learned that trust as a relation is really organized quite differently than other relations like liking, and that one of the key elements for organizing workers and, and also for organizing themselves as a cohesive community of people seeking to, to make social change, was whether or not they could trust each other. so from uh, from using them as subjects of the research, we also got purchase on just what happens when people go out into the world and and um and try to act as a team and change things. For these kids, um, many of them um, were profoundly uh, influenced by this experience. Um, uh, and and that influence led them in 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 um, disparate directions.
1: So, and let me just say, you know, I think we're both well aware that it's difficult to distinguish between the selection effects of students, you know, the students who were in, interested in being involved in this project were probably more likely than others to go into social action work uh, after graduation. But, but that said, what we found is that the, the, the variation in terms of um, how the teams did in their different Regions and the the organizations with which they interacted locally did seem to predict sort of how committed they have continued to be uh, with regard to to social action since graduation so for example one of the the, the teams that had the kind of uh, the, the local structure that we thought was most conducive to uh, organizing and teaching them how to be organizers was the team in in Central Florida um, and three of the four team members there have have continued to to they've gone on to be involved in some um, in in different social movement uh, campaigns from the um, five for 15 uh, working with McDonald's and other fast food workers uh, to our Walmart itself one of our former students uh, one of the Women involved in the project it continues to play a leadership role in our Walmart to uh, the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, a farm worker organization in Florida. Um, so, you know, three of the four team members from Florida have continued to 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 be involved in in movement work, and that's a that's a higher ratio than any of the other teams. So, we do think that that the like differences in experiences from the summer. Um, did play a role in in, in launching
2: these students
1: on, on different trajectories.
2: I mean, and even the ones who didn't, you know, stay in activism were shaped. I mean, one of the things that motivated this project, which we didn't really have time to get in depth in the book, was the idea that the, these kinds of experiences like Peace Corps or Teach for America um, that the people who experience those things we we know when we encounter them are are different than the people who don't and we we've, we've never known whether well is that because they were always different and and that's why they did it or did that experience have an effect on them and I think that this work by looking at what happens to these students over these nine weeks for those who go into activism for those who 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 left it quite purposely and and moved in another direction for them the the academic interests of those who entered into ac- academia, we feel like this work um, sets a baseline for understanding that these kinds of experiences are transformative of people, and um, and a lot of the book focuses on, you know, both the big and small ways in which the encounters with the other and the encounters with themselves change change who they were, um, and um, and one small indication of that is um, from you know the neuroscience data, which you know, would indicate a little bit that that by the end of this their experience, students started to see themselves as members of a group more than as individu- uh, isolated individuals, and that's the kind of you know subtle transformation of people that um, you um, would maybe not maybe not expect from a nine week um, even intensive experience in the field like this.
0: Yeah, it's a very innovative approach for looking at this effect that social justice engagement has on people. I thought it was a a really cool part of the book. So, you mentioned how uh, an important part of the project was to really see how our Walmart and other groups like it differ in their approaches and in their challenges from more traditional bureaucratic unions, such as in Uh, manufacturing, obviously service work and retail work in particular at firms that are as large as Walmart are going to present their different obstacles and challenges, which you go into. But tell us why unions still matter, especially for uh, people who are in places like Walmart.
1: Well, I'll, I'll mention one reason why. Well, you know, there are reasons why unions matter for the people who belong to them, and then there are reasons why unions matter for all of us. Um, the reasons why unions matter for the people involved in them is that, as we know, unions uh, give people uh, better wages, better benefits, uh, and more voice on the job. They have, there's less room for arbitrary, uh, the arbitrary whims of managers when people have some voice on the job, which comes with being involved uh, in unions. Um, so I think that's a reason why unions matter for the people who um belong to them uh but but unions matter for for all of us uh, in in ways that I think we uh are increasingly uh recognizing as they decline so let me just give you one uh example uh in our survey of of walmart workers uh forty three percent Reported that they didn't vote in the 2012 presidential election. Um, of those who did vote, about 29% voted for for Mitt Romney, and about 56% voted for Obama. So for every Romney voter, there were there were two workers who voted for Obama. Uh, in 2016, uh, it was very different. Uh, again, the plurality of workers uh, didn't vote but the majority of those who did vote, 51%, cast their ballots for uh, Trump. Uh, Clinton's support was at about 35%. Um, So it's worth considering that there are about 29,000 people who work for Walmart uh, today in Michigan, Um, and assuming a 40% annual turnover rate, this means that there are about 75,000 who worked uh, at a Michigan Walmart at some point between 2012 and 2016. Um, if these seventy-five thousand Michigan Walmart workers voted in twenty sixteen the way they had voted in twenty twelve, uh, Clinton would have won uh, would have won Michigan by more than twenty thousand uh, votes, and and using the same set of assumptions, she would have won Wisconsin and Florida too. Uh, among those Walmart workers who were members of our Walmart, uh, the percentage voting Republican between twenty twelve and twenty sixteen was basically unchanged, which suggests to, to us that that worker organizations are schools of are schools of democracy, that they, they, they help to teach workers about their own political interests, they help workers understand how to come together on behalf of these interests. Um, and I think that this
0: So tell me, what was your writing collaboration like? I always like asking authors if they have any of their own quirky writing habits or uh, just preferences. So how, how were you uh, able to to manage the the, the task of uh, collaborating, not just on the research, but in particular on the writing of the book?
2: Oh, we each took responsibility for drafting the first chap part, you know, the first drafts of of each chapter, and then. Um, And then we each aggressively rewrote every sentence that the other person wrote. And then um, we iterated until we got to the place where we are pretty much at that um, we actually don't know whose sentence is whose, partly because through that process, we started to try to protect our most valuable sentences by writing in the style of the other person (laughs) uh, so that Um, I would write a sentence that I really wanted to preserve that I thought Adam would delete if I didn't write it as if Adam had written it. And I'm sure he did the same. Um, And um, we, we got to a place where um, there was a single voice that, that we recognized as ours, which is, which is different than our own individual voices, um, but was, um, you know, special and identifiable and, 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 That's a really unique experience, to be honest. It's quite surprising. Yeah, it's definitely the most fun I've ever had,
1: uh, writing, writing anything, um, was writing this book together. Uh, one way that it has, has changed my writing in an ongoing way is that I used to write in Garamond, um, and now, now I, I write in Times New Roman font because uh, Peter would always change my Garamond to Times New
0: Roman.
2: Now I write in
0: Garamond. <laughs> well, I'm a Times New Roman person myself, but um, to each their own. Just so, wait. <laughs> all right. When I after my my, coll- my next collaboration, I'm sure I'll have to switch. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Adam and Peter, We've taking up a lot of your time. Uh, before we go, why don't you tell us what each of you are uh, working on now? If it's a uh, continuation of some of these topics, or something different, or or what?
1: Some of some of uh, my work is continuing this thread. So I'm I'm working with our Walmart, uh, which is now it's dropped the Walmart and it's uh, just the organization United for Respect. They're interested in in exploring the the potential of these online uh, communities for promoting labor organizations. So I'm working with them uh, on an experiment along those lines. Um, and also trying to to understand in a separate project, um, uh, the, the rise of delivery workers. So we're, you know, Peter and I are writing about Walmart at a moment when, uh, the entire retail sector is in the middle of a a transformation Walmart has bought jet.com and finally broken. It could never break into New York city. Uh, as a big box retailer, but it's broken into New York City as an online distributor. Um, so the shape of retail is really changing. And, and so I'm, I'm working with, uh, some colleagues on understanding, uh, the, the delivery sector. Um, and Peter and I are, are plotting our, our next, uh, book together. Um, uh, but we'll wait for another
2: time to, to talk about that. Sounds right. Um, yeah aside from that project um i'm mainly working on the interface of social cognitive neuroscience and sociology and an element of this book that that we didn't talk much about but was um the large text analysis of um semantic and syntactical structure of texts and um just those kinds of you know projects Okay, great.
0: No, nothing so, as good
2: as. Oh, go ahead. No, that, no, that, nothing, you know, nothing as this, good as what you did. Super special, yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for, for joining. Thank you for writing the book. This is very informative, and hopefully, we'll have you both on in the future for your next one. Thanks a lot. A lot. Right. Take care.